Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. It's another record day. It is. And it's so good to see your smiling face. It is smiling this time. <laughs> I mean, it's spring. I did go to Hawaii. Oh, yes. And that. That was very nice. <laughs> but most importantly on what we can relate to is I did not get a sunburn in Hawaii. Yay. And that is not as easy to do as it sounds. I was there for five days. Mm -hmm. I bought two full-size sunscreens. (laughs) I applied 15 minutes before sun exposure. Mm -hmm. I reapplied every time after I swam. Mm -hmm. If I was out hiking, I would apply before getting out of the car. Mm -hmm. And then whatever that hike took it took and then whatever I went to do next I would reapply yeah and even when I was just like laying at the beach so I wore a rash guard Mm -hmm. swim trunks and my big hat all of which are UPF 50 Mm -hmm. and then even like when I was laying there drying off I still put the hat like on my face covering my face yeah people don't know the struggle of being so intensely white But all of that said, not a sunburn in sight. (laughs) Very good job. I did eat a whole lot of heavy food. Mmm, yeah. Almost no vegetables, but a lot of incredible fruit. Yeah, yeah. And the fruit is just different. Like, tropical fruit actually grown in the tropics is so different and and like not shipped anywhere it was unbelievable yeah (laughs) so i mean the pineapple was incredible and i had like pineapple soft serve not ice cream but frozen whipped Mm kind of like the disney thing but just better okay and then i had a banana pancake that was the best pancake i've ever had in my life (laughs) (laughs) And then I had malasadas, so like hot Portuguese donuts. Mm -hmm. So much. I did not have it, but I saw that Taco Bell in Hawaii has Kahlua pork on the menu. Which is wild. (laughs) Like, if I had one more day, maybe I would have tasted like a singular taco just to see. But it was like, there's no way I'm going to Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, just to know now you're leaving all of us wondering i did try the fancy like mcdonald's stuff across my like european trips where they just have a different menu than ours but there were too many good restaurants and there wasn't enough time for taco bell to make the cut yeah well next time but so incredibly good and i only really sweat like on one hike it was humid but it was only 74 Oh, that's not bad. And it only rained on me once the whole time. Mm. It was it was so nice. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just here, you know, working. Well, and the most beautiful part was that it was round trip $270 on Southwest, and the flight there had 40 empty seats, and the flight home had 90 empty seats. That's crazy. <laughs> It was luxury. Oh my gosh. It would probably cost more than that for me to fly to New York, which is so super close. Yeah. It's like at least $700 every time I go to Mississippi. Yeah. So. (laughs) Hence, you go to Hawaii instead. (laughs) Ugh. Sounds amazing. So that's the extent of the bragging. Mm. And if it makes you feel better, coming back to work was nightmarish. And the 250 unread emails, just wrong. It was wrong on all counts. And I find myself thinking, you know, and I actually am old enough to remember work before emails. Not a lot of time working before emails, but some. 
but I find myself thinking all the time, what, it, how did anybody get anything done? And it's like, everything was just slower and that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back there. I did see someone, I don't know if it was a tweet or a screen grab of someone's out of office that was like, if this is an emergency, please consider that most things aren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Most things are not. Well, and sometimes it's like, well, your emergency isn't my emergency. Right. <laughs> That's not how this all works. Right. And, you know, I don't know, 90% of us out there are not curing cancer or anything like that. So it'll all wait. Yeah, you would think. Mm. But it's just like, I've been getting stricter and stricter on my out of office. Mm -hmm. That's just sort of like, I'm out. I will not be checking email, which is a lie because I looked every day because it's better for my anxiety to know what was happening while I was in Hawaii than to not know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't respond to anything, but I looked. But I was like, I will not be checking email and I will be responding to emails in the order in which they were received. Mm. Yeah. Because it's like, no. <laughs> There's, I mean, literally like 250 in a week. It's like, I'm not getting through all that in one day. So I'm starting at the bottom and working up. Yep. No, I know. Yeah, I, I vary. It depends how long I'm going to be gone for and what's going on. Sometimes I will just completely not look. And other times I'll kind of peek. But mm, I don't know. You got to learn to just shut it off which I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. Yeah, I just like to know if mm. there's like any emergency or anything bad that I'm coming back to. Mm. Cause it's like, I'm not gonna work on it. I just glance to make sure mm. no nightmare has spawned. But I always feel like if it's that bad, someone will text me. True. I mean, for better True. or worse, you know, we do have was... the kinds of jobs where occasionally stuff happens off hours that we just have to be involved in and they always text i got one text when i was there mm -hmm. it only took me five minutes they were asking me for someone else's phone number to text mm. but i was still like how dare you you yanked me out of my oblivion and you could probably guess who the person was but we clearly can't say and i can't give any more information because people at work listen but it's somebody i don't have an affection for oh boy now i want to know not on our work team now i know <laughs> just for general don't say this name aloud oh was not my guess but yes hmm interesting not a I, fan not a I, fan at all <laughs> Uh, so if you are listening to us for the first time, which, hi, uh, Andrew and I used to work together, so we know all the same peeps and used to work with all of them. Yeah, there's a shorthand. <laughs> <laughs> which I miss. Are you sure you don't want to move here and work with me again? I... I would. I just need to retire in 30 more years, <laughs> and I might be staying here. <laughs> Fine. Be that way. I will find a way to get to Rhode Island. <laughs> and by find a way, I mean find a time. Clearly, I know how airplanes work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're coming to California next summer. Ooh, yes. Yeah, so... I'll have to know those dates so I don't leave California at that yeah, time. Yeah, we'll figure it out here pretty soon. But it's like, um, I'm kind of thinking... I'm too organized for my own good sometimes, but I kind of like the idea I have in my mind is every other summer we'll do a big trip, Europe or Asia mm -hmm. or wherever, and then the alternating years we'll go to California. Yeah, I'm thinking... I'll probably do Chicago this fall. Mm -hmm. I've never gone, but like my best friend from childhood is moving there. 
Oh, And cool. I have other college friends that already live there. I just haven't visited yet. Mm-hmm. So I think that's on my 2022 list. We blew through there really quickly when we were driving cross country to come here. And what I saw, I liked, um, you know, just really beautiful. The food was amazing, what we had of it. And yeah, yeah, really fun. But then my thought is like, well, what if I do like a Boston to Maine, like road trip? Mm -hmm. And then also a like California to Yellowstone road trip. Yeah. So like start thinking about those types of things in the next couple years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to see and do out there. And I have vacation and my vacation also comes with a maximum number of vacation hours. So I I will never be a person to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always had either a really crappy um, vacation time off or I've had really good, but it rolled over. And now I have really good, but it does not roll over. So I'm in uh-huh. the great hustle to use. I just couldn't take days. It's been so busy. Plus I haven't COVID. been able to. Yeah. So, yeah. Right now I'm in the, how am I going to fit in 10 days between now and June 30th and still get all my work done. But (laughs) mine was Hawaii and it's also in like two weeks. I'm out for two weeks. Yeah. That said though, I'm very excited about our next few episodes. Yeah, very much. We got some good stuff coming up. Today and next week held a special place in my heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Folks, if you, I mean, you already know what it is, because to click play, you have to see the title. <laughs> so this episode is about Michael and Kathleen Peterson, shorthand for that, The Staircase. Mm-hmm. Now, I've said it in multiple episodes. I think my inciting incident is a constellation of things, mm-hmm. starting with the Canterville Ghost as a kid, then moving into Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Then when I think of like modern-ish, I say ish because the passage of time. <laughs> <laughs> but like kind of like my introduction to true crime crazes were the podcast S-Town and the documentary The Staircase. I was obsessed with mm-hmm. The Staircase. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be. It's it's good but also really compelling totally like there is so much to it and we'll get it in your telling my telling and then our discussion but um because there's so much to this one we're splitting it into two episodes Mm -hmm. so we're going to go through the crime talk through a bunch of that today and then next week's episode which we're recording immediately after this (laughs) (laughs) is going through the culture that's been inspired by the crime. Mm -hmm. And then, because the fate smiled upon us, the HBO limited series, The Staircase, premiered yesterday. (laughs) Which, yeah. I mean, that's a theme, though, right? I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of serendipity in our podcast. (laughs) And so Kirsten and I each stayed up late, watched episode one. And so after the culture, we're going to have a discussion about episode one of the new HBO Max limited series, The Staircase. And they're not paying us, but they could. (laughs) (laughs) HBO Max, we love you. So I'm going to do something that I almost never do, which is I'm going to skip all the preamble completely and just jump right to the crime and really it's pretty simple so my section is going to be a whole lot of pulling shit out of my ass and like the wild uh, speculation that we do sometimes because really the only thing that we know for a fact is that on december 9th 2001 a woman named kathleen peterson was found deceased at the bottom of stairs in her home in Durham, North Carolina. That's kind of all that we know for a fact. How she got there and what came about before and after is where our story really comes from. Now, to go back just a little bit, I'll talk about Kathleen Peterson. 
Kathleen Peterson was born Kathleen Hunt in Greensboro, North Carolina on February 21st, 1953. She was a successful student, very smart. She was the first woman who was admitted to Duke University's School of Engineering in the 60s. And she earned a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And while she was there, she met her first husband. They married and had a daughter whose name is Caitlin, but they divorced shortly after when her husband had an affair. Not too long after that, Kathleen Atwater, as she was then known, moved back to Durham, North Carolina, where she had gone to college. And she met a man named Michael Peterson. Michael Peterson was a local to Durham and he was a novelist, somewhat famous, I would say locally famous. And he also wrote a column for the Durham Herald Sun. Michael was still technically married, but separated from his first wife as well. He had four children of his own, and we'll kind of go into details on that. But almost immediately, they fell in love, and in 1987, they kind of merged their families together. Kathleen was working as an executive at a telecommunications company, and Michael had received a very big advance on a book deal. So in 1992, they bought a huge mansion together and their families kind of officially became one. In 1997, Michael had completed his divorce from his first wife and he and Kathleen married. All seemed really well with the family. His sons from his first marriage were grown. His daughters were in college or entering college. Caitlin was also on her way to college, but there were cracks in the marriage that really only came to light the full extent of them after Kathleen's death, Mm -hmm. which leads us to 2001. Now, there are a lot of kind of details, again, that came, came to light after her death, which we'll kind of, we'll do flashbacks, podcast flashbacks to prior and kind of talk through that. But on this night, December 9th, 2001, Kathleen and Michael had been celebrating as they often did. They were a social couple and it was reported by their children and others who had seen them that evening that Kathleen was pretty tipsy. They were in their mansion alone together. And according to Michael, they had been out by the pool. It was I guess a temperate evening. North Carolina can be warmish. So even though it's December, they're outside hanging out, having fun. And according to Michael, again, sometime around midnight, Kathleen went inside. I don't know why she was tired. She went in. He remained out by the pool. According to him again, and I I keep saying that, but all of this obviously is according to him. Yeah, as the only living person there that night. Exactly. So around 2.40 that morning, Michael made a call to 911. And he reported in that call, and you can find the audio to this online, um, or you can watch one of the series that Andrew will talk about later (laughs) and hear reenactments of this. But he called 911, and he reported finding Kathleen at the bottom of the, the stairs in their home. Now... He told the operator in that first call that she was still breathing. And essentially the message was, she's still breathing, hurry, get here, hurry, get here. Are you coming? Are you coming? A little time passed, and I think that he had disconnected from that original operator. And he called back and he said, where are you? She's not breathing anymore. Where are you? I have a question for you. Yeah. And if you feel like this fits better later, I'll hold it. But wouldn't, I know, you? who knows what happens when people are panicking, fight or flight, panic, Mm -hmm. grief. But wouldn't you think if you found your spouse or someone you cared about like that, you would say the words, oh my God, hurry, there's blood everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll get into speculation, but like thinking of the cause, like she's still breathing I don't know how you don't say there's blood everywhere. Yeah, it's a weird thing to say when when you've seen that scene. Because, like, she fell down the stairs could mean anything. And he does sound hysterical. Mm -hmm. But you would just, I would think Mm -hmm. 
it would behoove me to mention mm-hmm. that my loved one is bleeding out. Right, right. Right. And I think that that would be the more obvious thing in that moment to notice. Also, just, just a thought. We'll, we'll for sure speculate more, but just. No, no. Again, I, but I, I think too, I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, in whatever way that you can as you're sitting recording a podcast, put my mind into that place. And I feel like in that moment, you would, your brain would be racing to figure out what had happened, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk more about this, but. I don't think if you saw the scene, which listener, if you haven't, if you don't know anything about this case, was extraordinarily bloody. I don't think you would see that scene and your first thought would be she fell down the stairs. I think your first thought would be someone beat her over the head with something. Right? Yeah. And and we'll we'll get more into why the scene was the way it was and all of that. But, you know, I'm trying to, if I were... If I came home and found a scene like that, my first thought would be there's someone in the house. Mm-hmm. Right? There's someone in the house who did this. Well, because, it was the cop's first thought. Right. It does not look... And I, I've i never seen per- firsthand what it looks like when somebody falls down the stairs and bleeds out. But rightly or wrongly, it doesn't look like what I would think it would. And mm-hmm. in that moment... Well, this is not actually true, and we'll get we'll get to this more. I was gonna say he also would be someone who, in that moment, had never seen it, but false, coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I would think that your mind would be racing. So I totally agree. Already, things are not adding up. Yeah. So he makes the second call. He says that she's not breathing essentially is checking are you coming where are they and they arrived shortly after that when they came in they saw this scene that did not line up with the information that he had already given i think people on the scene were doing what i just explained they were trying to piece together what the hell happened here it made no sense yeah so almost immediately i think the first responding officers called in detectives you know they said this this isn't looking right um and they brought folks in as soon as investigators came they saw something that really did not add up to seasoned crime scene investigators and in that same evening they declared the scene a crime scene Mm -hmm. and so kind of what unspooled after that we can summarize so that we can then come back to it with with little details. But essentially, he was charged with murder. When they had the autopsy on Kathleen, they found things that were inconsistent with a simple fall down the stairs. She had seven really serious lacerations on her scalp, and they determined that she may have been strangled. Part of her thyroid was broken, thyroid... Mm-hmm bone was broken that was inconclusive but certainly she had lacerations that were not consistent with again a simple fall down the stairs but keeping the mystery she didn't have fractures right she had no fractures she didn't have brain swelling she didn't have some of the other things that would be more typical of blunt force trauma to the head So there was no sign of forced entry at all in the home. There was no one else present. What there also wasn't, though, was there was no obvious murder weapon. There were no cast-off blood splatter patterns on any of the walls of the stairway. So there was a lot of blood, but there wasn't that kind of cast-off pattern that you would see if someone was wielding a weapon, strike, swing back, strike and every time you swing back it it flings blood you know over the Mm -hmm. walls and the ceiling it was also questioned whether in this tight confined space of the staircase someone could wield the kind of weapon that could do this damage so the theory was it had to be something light because it didn't fracture her skull Mm -hmm. and so they thought then it had to be something long so that you know, with the swinging of it, it could get the force to do the laceration, but not not crack her skull, essentially. 
So it, it was very confounding right from the start, but it definitely didn't seem like someone who had fallen down the stairs. So yeah. I think he even mentioned, oh, she had fallen down many stairs, but there was only blood really at the bottom. Later, the thinking was that she had maybe just fallen down the bottom stairs and then tried to get up again. And the blood was kind of her flailing around. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that toxicology reports showed a blood alcohol content of 0.07%, which is just under the legal limit. And she also had some Valium in her system, but a therapeutic dose. Yeah. Now, you know, I think at that time, a lot was kind of made of that. And I think in a lot of portrayals and a lot of retellings of this, it's kind of implied that maybe she had a drinking problem or she drank to excess, maybe took prescription drugs to excess. But I also just want to say, you know, under the legal limit and a therapeutic dose of Valium, I feel like that combination could exist in like a very significant number of adults at any given point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean this maybe as intensely as it sounds, but I think you're describing the overwhelming of amount of suburban white women right yeah totally totally and i mean to be just under the legal limit i mean you can be over the legal limit and not even appear drunk we all mm -hmm. know that right i think this kind of portrayal of her is uh slopping around and oh maybe she fell and I, I mean those things could be true and you know that doesn't speak to me as a slam dunk of oh she was just this sloppy drunk and she climbed to the top of the stairs and fell down all of them you know and hit every stair on the way down i mean doesn't seem super probable yeah i always thought for it to work that way she would have had to have been mostly up lost her balance falling backwards yeah. so that like her head was the first piece of content contact and then like going down to explain yeah. why there wasn't much blood up top but yeah but yeah it's like for the defense or the prosecution like the details of that amount of alcohol and valium it's like i think it falls into that idea mm -hmm. of like well what's a problem versus what's reality for so many people yeah yeah totally and, you know, what's a problem maybe interpersonally in your life? It's creating issues versus being a fall down drunk, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, 0.07, and I'm not an expert, but 0.07 is not fall down drunk by any means. No. And the flip side of that, at the start of the pandemic, I fell down the stairs totally sober. Right. <laughs> so, like... That it's just one of the many pieces that can be used. I think that's the thing about this case is like so many of the same pieces could be argued by the prosecution or the defense. Oh, and they were. They absolutely were. And so almost immediately after this, uh, before he was even charged, Michael lawyered up, which, you know, real talk, I would do, you know, yes. any smart person would do. And also, you know. But he had been on a political campaign calling out the cops, calling out the DA. Like, there are pieces, yes. especially knowing how corrupt cops and DAs can be. It's very true. And, I mean, I don't know. It's like he's pulling all of the... So I didn't mention he ran for mayor of Durham in 1999 and he lost. And, you know, he seems to have kind of had a persecution complex. And it's like, dude, you're a rich white guy. It's just hard to believe that he's really being persecuted to this degree. Right? I agree. But <laughs> the good old boy system... I mean, it's not just a Southern thing, but thinking about the South, like, I'm willing to extend a lot of leeway in that zone. I guess, I suppose. All right. Fine. No, you're right. You're right. So Michael lawyered up and kind of started acting dodgy during this time. 
you know, I think it's pretty clear that the DA was making an effort to make inroads into the family and essentially split off Kathleen's family from, quote, I'm doing air quotes here for those of you who can't see me, his family and her family. Mm -hmm. So again, they had this big, beautiful, blended family all seemed to run like a well-oiled machine. Brady Bunch style. Yeah. But in the end, one of their five children was hers. And two of their five children were his. And two more of their five children he had adopted from a very young age after their parents, his friends, had died. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to that. And I alluded earlier that, oh, it would have been the first time he was seeing someone die from falling down the stairs. But no. So there was a time earlier in his life when Michael had lived in Germany with his first wife. They had made close friends. There was, I think, a little expat community there. And these close friends who lived nearby had two young daughters. In the 80s, I believe, early 80s, The father, the husband of this couple, had died, I believe, of cancer. And Michael essentially kind of took over the fatherly role of their family. He really supported the wife and, you know, treated the daughter, the daughters, and, you know, treated the daughters like his nieces, essentially. And they were kind of one big happy family there. Her name was Elizabeth Ratliff. And after a period of years of this arrangement, again, everything seemed happy on on the surface. Elizabeth was found dead at the foot of her staircase with injuries to her head. Mm -hmm. At the time, the German police investigated, also U.S. military police investigated, and they concluded that she had died of a cerebral hemorrhage. This was based on blood that they found in her cerebrospinal fluid in her autopsy. And also friends had reported that in the weeks leading up to her death, she had been having persistent and unusual headaches. Mm -hmm. So the investigation was kind of closed. It was seen as a tragic, you know, not accident, but a tragic, you know. Happening. Happening, yes, thank you, incident. And... The Petersons essentially took in the two girls. Now, not too long after that, Michael and his first wife, Patricia, separated. And Michael returned to the United States. Patricia remained in Germany. For a time, their sons stayed with Patricia in Germany. And the Ratliff girls came with Michael to the United States. Within a couple of years, Michael had met Kathleen, and the boys decided to move in with their father in the United States. So that's kind of the lead up to the big happy Brady Bunch. The boys came over, the Ratliff girls were living there under his care, and Kathleen and her daughter Caitlin moved in. And I think because his boys were a little bit older, I don't think that they really came around to calling her mom. But the Ratliff girls did eventually call Kathleen mom, even though they knew that they knew the circumstances. They didn't remember. Yeah, they didn't have any memory of Germany. Um, And so that's kind of what led to the time period that we're talking about. So when we look back at that, I think what seemed maybe kind of innocent or genuinely just a family tragedy at the time started looking a whole lot different in light of Kathleen's death. Two deaths, in staircases, some kind of head trauma. Stranger things have happened, but how? Yeah, yeah. Very, very strange. So once that kind of came to light, the prosecution wanted to have Elizabeth Ratliff's body exhumed. Now, Elizabeth was also an American. When she died, her body was returned to the U.S. to her home state of Texas and was buried there. And so the prosecution applied to have her exhumed and brought to North Carolina. The defense, I think, vehemently 
opposed this when they realized that they had kind of lost the battle of having her exhumed and examined at all they fought to have her examined in texas now this is going back to this idea that michael felt like he was being persecuted and he wanted her examined not by officials in durham but the prosecution won this and elizabeth ratcliffe was exhumed and was brought to north carolina where she had a second autopsy mm-hmm. and the results of this was a finding that she died as a result of homicide. Which is still, that's not 100% fact. I mean, it's a fact that that's what the result said, but like very biased people mm-hmm. are conducting this. Not to say that the medical examiners weren't qualified then either, but in the years, decades since, like, it's so hard. I think that's one of the crude true crime things I've learned is like it's so hard to trust the prosecutors too Mm -hmm. well and I mean even if someone is not you know I'm doing air quotes again uh we need a sound effect for air quotes even if someone is not dirty (laughs) 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 there's just bias you know um it's why scientific studies have to be double blind and you know Mm -hmm. I mean It's just how humans work to a certain extent. You know, it's very hard to, when you know the outcome that benefits your case, it's very hard to be unbiased. Mm -hmm. So they didn't actually accuse him of her death in open court or during the trial, but this information was allowed into the trial. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to whatever, something long. But because the Ratliff information had been allowed in, that was one of the bases for appeals. And of course, his legal team appealed the verdict. And in 2006, the Court of Appeals rejected his arguments that he did not get a fair trial they admitted that there were flaws in the case and there were some defects in the search warrant, but essentially they said that it didn't have ill effect on the outcome. Mm -hmm. But that ruling with the court of appeals was not unanimous. So under North Carolina law, Peterson had the right to appeal to the Supreme court and they accepted the case. So in 2007, they heard the, argument and they announced that they affirmed the decision of the appeals so he had essentially exhausted his appeals at that point Mm -hmm. in 2008 he had new a new legal team and they filed a new motion and kind of a hail mary but they had three important grounds that were the basis of this appeal One, that the prosecution had withheld exculpatory evidence about the blow poke, which we can get more into. But essentially, their theory of the murder weapon, um, they had withheld exculpatory evidence, which is a big deal. Exculpatory just means evidence that could have have cleared him. Uh The second thing was that the prosecution used an expert witness whose qualifications were disputed. And then the last thing is that one juror had based his judgment on racial factors. In 2009, this motion was denied again. So in late 2009, though, there was a new theory that was raised. And this theory was raised by his neighbor, who happened to be a lawyer. Not his lawyer, just a lawyer. Uh-huh. And he had just been reading about the case and he read in one of the reports that there had been a microscopic owl feather found on Kathleen's body. Now he obviously knew the area he lived in that neighborhood and kind of knew about owls in the area, knew that there had been some kind of issues with them. And so he went to, He went to the police and he suggested to them that dun 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 an owl might have done it now i think this gets a lot of laughs and is played for kind of humor is not the right word but 
just kind of a certain level of ridiculousness. But the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation had some other evidence of a wooden sliver and some I think pine hair. needles. Yeah, pine needles and hair that had been pulled out from the root in Kathleen's hand. And so they reexamined the evidence. And when they reexamined it, they found two more microscopic owl feathers. And so this evidence was presented and according to the judge who reviewed it, said that had a jury been presented with this evidence, it would have materially affected their deliberation and therefore would have materially affected their ultimate verdict. Affidavits were filed, but in spite of this theory, and it did gain some traction with outside advocates, there wasn't a motion for a new trial that was put in at that time. Mm -hmm. But in 2010, after some newspaper articles had come out that were critical of the SBI, as it was called, the State Bureau of Investigation, uh, the North Carolina Attorney General's office did an investigation, and they found that um, one of the analysts in the case was basically just terrible and had found a lot of flaws in his cases and in his work. Uh And so that, that analyst was actually suspended. And... Peterson's legal team filed affidavits to support a motion to have the medical examiner's office turn over all documentation related to her autopsy, to his attorneys. The judge barred more filing of motions. I mean, it was a lot of legal wrangling at this time. Uh The analyst that sucked so hard he got suspended was fired, and then that triggered an audit. And... That audit found that he had falsely represented evidence in 34 cases. So (laughs) I know I feel like this is kind of a a trope too in um, like crime procedural shows is like one bad apple and then it undoes all of these cases. But I think it's a trope because it happens occasionally and it's Mm -hmm. a shit show. So as an example of the way this analyst kind of fucked up this case in the original trial this analyst testified that he had been mentored by an sbi bloodstain specialist he had worked 500 bloodstain cases written 200 reports and testified in 60 cases during the retrial the assistant director of the sbi testified that he had written only 47 reports and the guy who he said mentored him basically pulled a Mariah Carey. I do not know him. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And it just kind of all came apart. And that was really kind of all that Peterson's team needed to get the ball ball rolling again on a retrial. Yeah. So in 2011, he was released from jail on bail and placed under house arrest while they kind of tried to sort out all of the mess. The judge ruled that this analyst had given misleading and deliberately false testimony about bloodstain evidence. Also, just an aside, I think now we know that blood the whole field of bloodstain analysis is kind of bullshit anyway. That's the easy, even crazier part, which I right. didn't know if you were going to mention. Yeah, like, <laughs> this has happened so many times, which is, like, another scary reason you, like, have to get a lawyer and can't talk to the police. Like, the same thing happened with fires, like, un- yeah. before, like fire examiners understood backdraft and combustibility like so many people were convicted yeah and it's the same way of like so many of our forensics are like right until they're wrong yeah oh my gosh there's a great podcast on this we talked about it before didn't we oh i think so yeah there's like no kind of scientific testing or or um accountability in scientific testing which Mm -hmm. is kind of crazy and meta but yeah, so, but even it, even if we assume that the whole field of blend stain analysis is perfect, this guy was not and yeah. basically was a fraud. So in 2014, Peterson's restrictions were eased, which I'm taking to mean that he was taken off of house arrest and allowed mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of get out and about. Or at least was, like, oh, well, now you get like 
a 20 mile perimeter house arrest with like time frames. And so the court appointed new counsel to Peterson, who by this point was pretty broke. He had someone who was willing to work pro bono on the case. And the original conviction was overturned. And I think it was just a matter now of how are they going to move forward? There Mm -hmm. still had been an unexplained death that had been ruled a, a homicide. And so a new trial was scheduled to begin in May of 2017. But in February of 2017, before the trial began, a resolution had been negotiated by Peterson's original lawyer in the first trial and the district attorney. And essentially what happened is Peterson entered an Alford plea now, the Alford plea, if you're not aware, is essentially a plea where you're saying, I'm not admitting that I did it, but I'm acknowledging that there's enough evidence that I could be convicted. Mm-hmm. And the charges also in this negotiation had been dropped to voluntary manslaughter. So after this plea was entered, the judge sentenced Peterson to a maximum of 86 months in prison. And... He received credit for time already served. Now, he had already served more time than that, so he essentially was free at that point. Yeah. Now, if we go back to 2002, and remember I said that the DA was kind of working to put a wedge in the family, and I mean, that makes it sound sinister, but essentially the DA had gone to Caitlin, Kathleen's daughter, and her sister's, and shown them autopsy photos. Mm -hmm. And they talked to them about what they called Peterson's secret life. So during the investigation, police discovered that Peterson was bisexual and had been having affairs with men during his marriage to Kathleen. So this information was revealed as one, a motive for the crime that Kathleen had discovered the affairs They fought and he killed her and presented the autopsy evidence as, you know, this, this is not a fall down the stairs. Someone intentionally killed her Mm -hmm. and it, it did, it, it worked, you know, her family came to believe that he had killed her, even though initially they all supported him. And in 2002, Caitlin, again, Kathleen's daughter, who was the administrator of Kathleen's estate, filed a wrongful death suit against Peterson. Now, in 2006, he filed for bankruptcy. Caitlin objected to the bankruptcy, again, asserting her kind of claim on his money. And in 2007, they settled the wrongful death claim for $25 million dollars. You know, he was pretty much truly bankrupted by the legal fees Mm -hmm. in this case. Um, So I don't know if Caitlin ever saw any money or any of her family ever saw any money from this, but he settled. Yeah. So those are really the broad strokes of the crime and kind of the sequence of events. But we alluded to a blow poke, which, again, was the theorized murder weapon And this is one of the really weak points in the whole case. Again, Kathleen didn't have any skull fractures. Her brain was not, didn't show any signs of swelling, which you would normally see in someone who had suffered head trauma and then lived for a while, um, as, as Peterson claimed that she had. But later reports say that the timing also didn't work out. So he says that she went in around midnight and when he went in around 2.30, she was still breathing and then she stopped breathing. When the medical personnel came to the scene, they later reported to police that she had been dead for a while. So this idea that her heart was still beating when he called is really called into question. Uh Uh-huh. But at the same time, you know, no murder weapon was found. And, you know, they went over that place with a fine tooth comb. The theory came to be that this blow poke. So, again, it's basically a fire poker, but it's hollow so that you can blow into it to kind of whip up the fire. Uh Uh-huh. 
that had been part of a set that the family owned, one was missing. And so they theorized that this was the murder weapon. It was light enough that it, it could inflict lacerations, but not, you know. Like it theoretically could have been enough. It could have been enough, theoretically. Again, I mean, there's still a question of wouldn't her brain swell? You know, I none of it makes any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But in all of this, they then found months later, I think, the blowpoke somewhere in the basement. It was fishy as hell, though, because one of the members of the family found it. I can't remember who. I think one of the sons just conveniently found it and brought it. They took pictures. They called the lawyer. So it wasn't found by police down there. But when it was examined and the location and the blowpoke itself, it supposedly had dust or cobwebs or I don't know. It made it seem like it had been there undisturbed since before her death. Yeah. And it's like there's so many things like they were just making up that it was a blowpoke. Just because the blowpoke is found, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a different murder weapon. But at the same time, they presented the case that it was a blowpoke. Right. Right. And it's like, just because, I mean, let's assume that the DA and the police are out to get him. Just because they're out to get him doesn't mean he didn't do it. Correct. (laughs) So, I mean, it's very confounding on all levels. The crime scene kind of doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, that is kind of the broad strokes. But now you see why I say the only thing that is known for fact is that at a certain date, at a certain time, she was found deceased at the bottom of the staircase in her house. Everything else is really according to Peterson, according to family, according to maybe, you know, prosecutors who have an axe to grind. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a mess. That's why it's so interesting. It really is. So we're going to wrap up here. But we are going to, next time, cover all of the culture, of course, like we always do. But the big elephant in the room. And the elephant just happens to be an owl. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to say that. That's it. Well, as always, listeners, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. And see you next week for part two. (laughs) Bye-bye. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 